great to see you today, and I've got to make a confession to you, all right? I'm, I'm confessing right up front. I was in the fellowship hall, I was walking down there talking with somebody, and those guys, those cooks in there, they grabbed me, they held me down, they twisted my arm and made me eat a pancake and piece of sausage. So I'm, I'm going to be good to go. I'm not going to get hungry today, so I'm, I'm going to go. But anyway, it was, it was very good, so if you don't have lunch plans, plan on sticking around, all right? I'll always remember Groundhog's Day, by the way. It's my brother's birthday, February 2nd, Groundhog's Day, so i always remember that particular day. Well, it's good to see you. If you have your notes, your bulletin, grab your notes there, and there'll be some blanks to fill in. I want to just start with just kind of some interaction, give you a chance to kind of interact a little bit out there. What three things is our church known for? I want you to take just a minute and just kind of talk to a couple people around you. Three things. What three things is our church known for? All right, just take a minute. Actually, want you to think about it, jot it down. Maybe you just wandered in off the streets and you have no idea why you're here. You may not know. All right. What three things? No, don't say anything. This is closed mouth test. All right. Everybody got one thing. Jesus. I, I, I don't want you to say, I just, I'm just asking you, all right. Some of y'all look like you're not participating. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's how I was in school. That's why I had problems, all right. All right. So just hang on. How many of you mentally have something, all right. So just, again, there's not a right or wrong to it. And now I want to start off with a Captain Obvious test, all right? Captain Obvious. If you're familiar with Captain Obvious, it's like a, you cannot fail this test, all right? If you fail this test, you're sleeping, all right? That's the only way you can fail this test, all right? Captain Obvious test. If you go to the zoo and you walk by and you see Monkey House, what would you expect to see in the Monkey House? And you can ask anybody around you if you're confused, all right? Now, in the, in the early service, they weren't going to raise their hand. They were, and not, most of the time, it's not good to raise your hand in church. If you go to the zoo, you see the monkey house, what would you expect to find? This is Captain Obvious. Duh. All right, not a trick quest. You would expect to find some monkeys, all right? It's, I mean, it's that simple, all right? It is that simple, all right? Second one, if you're at the zoo and you see Snake House, what would you expect to find? Snakes. Now, you, now there'll be other things in there. There'll be uh, people in there. But you would expect to find snakes, right? Several of them in the early service said, I wouldn't go in. I don't need to see them. And I know there are a lot of good snakes, but not to a city boy. City boys know no good snakes, all right? But anyway, you would expect to see snakes. If you, if you saw the elephant house, what would you expect to find? You guys are really getting this. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. But you seem like the 8 o'clock service, they usually don't talk much. And that's how you guys are really quiet. All right? This is not a trick question. All right, so if you go by the elephant house, you'd expect to see elephants. All right, very good. If you walk, if you're driving down the road and you saw a house of quilts, what would you expect to find in there? You guys are getting it. I'm feeling better about this all along, all right? So you would expect to find some quilts. If I happen to find some quilts that have to do with today's game, by the way, how many of you are, are going to plan on watching the Super Bowl? All right, about half, all right? How many of you don't care about football? All right, that would be my wife raising her hand up there. She doesn't care about football. 
I found a quilt that has the winner of the Super Bowl today. I very rarely do this, but I am going to show you, I am going to guarantee you a winner, and I'm going to show you a winning quilt right here. You'll be able to say tomorrow, I saw that on TV, I saw that at church yesterday, pastor had that up. So anyway, I have not seen, I have not seen, I'm not saying there hasn't been, I have not seen a 49er jersey all day. Is there one 49 fan in here, 49er fan? Today, two, all right, there's two. All right, there's been a lot of people bring their Kansas City jerseys, all right? That's kind of one of those Captain Obvious. So they come in with a Kansas City jersey. You know what I ask them? Who you rooting for? <laughs> duh, duh. It went right along with my message, all right? Captain Obvious, all right? So if you went by a house of shoes, you would expect to find? You guys are finally coming out of your shell a little bit. So you would expect to find all kinds of shoes, all right? I think I got one more. If you went by and saw House of Rogers Most Requested Sermon CDs, what are you laughing? Somebody in the early service said, it would be empty. They weren't supposed to holler that out. But the truth is, they got it right. It'd be empty. You wouldn't find anything in there. I used to laugh years ago, we, we had CDs outside of the service, and, and they started stacking up because nobody took them. And finally, they put a note on the wall, use as a coaster, use as a Frisbee. We want you to have these. Kids can play with them. Still couldn't get rid of them. It was a mess. We had to throw them away. But anyway, so that would be true in that case. Well, if you got the Captain Obvious test, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about you guys, you're going to understand today's text. It's that simple. It's that Captain Obvious simple about what the text is all about. So we're going to look at it in Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there and just read along. But we're going to read from the scripture up here. But it's always good to parallel your Bible to see what your Bible says as well. So let's read together from Matthew 21 beginning in verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. When, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? So we're going to talk about a pretty familiar passage. Back in the early part of his ministry in John chapter 2, he also, very similar, he cleaned out the temple. This is about three years later. It's at the last week of his earthly life, his earthly ministry. And once more, he goes into the temple to clear it out. And so if you love to teach, this is about as simple of a text as you can possibly have as far as an outline goes. So first of all, in the text, it was a house of cleansing. 
First of all, he cleaned out what should not have been going on in the temple, all right? And let's again just look at it. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, it's very rare that you see Jesus' emotional BB at a 10. And so anytime you find Jesus angry, I always lift up my, my uh, spiritual antenna and say, what was it that made Jesus so upset? Why was he so upset when he went in and turned over these tables? What was it all about? Well, let me just kind of give you a setting here to kind of visualize. This is a model of the temple that would have been there in Jesus' day. If you get a chance to go to Israel, you'll see this model. They have a model. It's supposed to be to scale. You'll see little houses behind it there. But in Jesus' day, the temple mount which said the entire temple complex would be about 36 acres. I mean, it is amazing how big it is when they talk about, when it talks about Jesus going up to the temple, anything on this temple mount would be considered going up to the temple, all right? And so let's just point out a couple things. There was an outer court there inside those walls where Jews were allowed to go. There was a holy place where the priests were allowed to go a little bit closer. And then the Holy of Holies where the high priest could go once a year. Now it may seem like, again, God is at a distance. But the whole idea of the temple was that like, God could be as absolutely close to men as he could. But it was sin that kind of kept that distance at this particular time. Over here on the left, the royal stoa was kind of a covered porch, if you will. And many scholars believe that when Jesus went to the temple to teach, it would be under this area where Jews and Gentiles alike could gather. And so again, don't know for sure, but probably it was maybe under here where he came and taught. The eastern gate would be right here, and if you've been to Israel, you've been on the Mount of Olives, and you look across the Kidron Valley, and that's what you would be looking at is that eastern gate. And many believe by prophecy, one day when Jesus comes back, he's going to come through that eastern gate. Now, if you go over there, you'll realize they have a, a grave, a cemetery right in front of the, of the eastern gate. And they understand, they believe that a rabbi would not go across a cemetery, so they put a cemetery in front of the eastern gate. That tells me they believe in prophecy more than many of us do. They're trying to do everything they can to keep Jesus from coming back, which is kind of funny in a way. And then over here on the left is kind of the court of the Gentiles. And I believe it was here in this big open area where this event took place. Now what was going on? I believe they were setting up tables and people who came and pilgrimaged to the temple, they had to, you know, most of them would not bring an animal along the journey because it would be too difficult to try to keep an animal alive, take care of it. And so they would provide a sacrifice so these people could have an experience with God. And what started out as a service, they would provide these animals to sacrifice so people could encounter God. It, began, it became a very lucrative business. They began to gouge people and overcharge people. What was it that made Jesus angry? My opinion. As he looked out and he saw these people 
literally taking advantage of poor people and literally charging them to a point that they could not even afford a sacrifice, I think it made Jesus angry to see these religious leaders keep people from having a relationship with God. By the way, I've taught this before, but I realized this week the primary lesson of this passage is not against the lay people. But it's against the religious leaders who were doing so much religion and they were taking advantage of the poor people that they weren't allowing these poor people again to come into the presence of God. And that angered Jesus. I want to tell you, I believe this passage first and foremost is for people that are in positions of leadership. The last thing we need to do is keep people from experiencing God. And I just want to remind you that I believe God wants a personal relationship with each one. He wants that intimate relationship. And finally, the last thing here over on the far left, you can kind of just see around the corner there, the southern steps uh, to the Temple Mount. And if you go to Israel, there'll be a service that you do on those steps. I think that was where Brandon Martin, this last trip, he shared over on those steps. But that gives you an idea of how massive this was. Now Luke's Gospel tells us that during that last week on earth, that every day he went to the temple to teach. The Bible says in Luke 19, the first part of verse 47, he was teaching daily in the temple. So every day he went to the temple. Every day his desire was to teach during this last week. All right? So I want to take just a minute and just kind of do some reflection in our life. There's certainly application to the church because I believe the church should be a place where people come and experience God. But I also want to say there's individual application as well. Because the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to say that primarily as God looks at our life, He wants to make sure that our life is a place that reflects where he lives. And so as Jesus said, I want my house to be called a house of prayer, I believe one of the greatest things people could say about any local body is that they are a people of prayer. I think the greatest thing they can say about you personally is that you are a person of prayer. Again, I didn't say it. Jesus said, I want my house where I live to be called a house of prayer. But before he established that, he first of all had to clean out the garbage that should not have been there. And every once in a while along the journey, we need to ask God to cleanse our life. And so I just want you to think about for a minute, am I worried about things which I have no control? Do I have a secret sin I should forsake? Does my use of money reflect putting God first? Do I have anything in my possession that does not rightfully belong to me? Am I sexually pure before God in thought and deed? Do my words build up and encourage others? Does my life at home, work, school reflect Jesus? Is there any bitterness in my heart against anyone? Now God knows we're a work in progress. Can I tell you, you're never going to have it all together. But if God has been pointing out something in your life, there may be something that you do need to move on from. I want you to take just a minute, and I don't want you to think about what your neighbor needs or your spouse needs. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in your life that he's kind of been putting his finger on and you've been putting off dealing with it 
that maybe today's the day that you just need to allow him to clean that up in your life so that you can continue to move forward. So let's take about 10 seconds. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that I just need to forsake and just release today? Would you ask? And for 99% of us, I believe you already have the answer because it's something God has probably already been talking with you about. So the first part is he went in, he cleaned out the temple, he got rid of all the garbage. And again, it's not a knock against the lay people, it really was a harsh message against the religious leaders. And by the way, if you look at the life of Jesus, I don't ever see him getting angry at the prostitute or the drunkard, ever. He never gets angry. But he gets angry at the religious leaders who are so pious that they literally began to put burdens on people that they cannot keep. And so really, this message, as I was preparing this week, I realized it's more for me. You guys should be preaching it to me to make sure that we're not just going through the motions. But God wants to experience an intimate relationship with you Every time we gather. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God wants us to experience his presence. So once they cleaned out the stuff that should not be there, then he established what it was meant to be all along. Now, I didn't say, but Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. He's quoting from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7 verse 11. And by the way, both Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7 the whole chapters are really a stern rebuke against the religious leaders. That back in Isaiah, back in Jeremiah's day, as they were standing basically in the same area, they were realizing that it was the religious leaders that were causing the people not to have an experience with God. And so I just want to say, as he's quoting from Isaiah 56, Jeremiah, there's one thing that Matthew leaves out in his version of it that Mark adds that's really important, all right? This is Matthew saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But Mark's version of the same story, Mark adds this. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? For all nations. By the way, that's what Isaiah 56 says. And so when Jesus went there, I believe it was in the court of the Gentiles, it was meant to draw the whole world. I mean, God wanted a relationship with people. And so Mark quotes uh, from the book of Isaiah, it's a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus was angry. He first of all cleared out what should not have been there. And then he established what it was meant to be. Now Jesus said, I want my house, the place where I live more than anything else, I want it to be called a house of prayer. And prayer is that intimate relationship with God that I believe God desires for each and every one of us. So let's just read from Isaiah 56. This is the verse that Jesus quoted and Mark as well. But let's read from Isaiah 56. And again, it's really a warning against the religious leaders who are keeping the people from experiencing God. Let's read together. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Can I tell you, God wants us to have joy. How many of you know the Christian life should be happy? You know, when you think about your relationship with God, if I'm being honest and growing up in church, I used to have your quiet time as a duty every day. Check it off, check it off. I did it, check it off, check it off. 
When the Christian life is rules and regulations, it becomes very burdensome, right? But when the Christian life becomes a relationship with God, it's different. So when the Christian life becomes a relationship, I think you find great joy in your relationship with God. How many of you remember the time? How many of you remember when you were dating your spouse? Those of you that are married, how many of you remember when you were dating? How many of you, they just had to drag you over to their house and spend time with them? And, and you checked it off. I did my thing. I, I, we went out. But how many of you know what a joy it is? You just couldn't hardly wait to spend that time. I just want to remind you, and to me, one of the great lessons of this text is that God loves people. And he desires an intimate relationship with people. I think your time with God should produce great joy. I mean, it should be joyful to spend time with God. And so he says, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. I think Christians should be the happiest people ever. And when you really find out how much God loves you, I hope and I pray that you discover that real joy in that relationship. And then he goes on to say in Isaiah, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And this is, by the way, why I think he was upset. They could not bring a sacrifice because they were overcharging the poor people. I think it hurt the heart of God when we do anything to tell people they're not accepted in the sight of God. And so Jesus was very angry. And he goes on to say, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So Mark quoted it exactly out of the book of Isaiah. Matthew just left off that phrase for all nations. But I believe the temple was not just for the Jewish people, but I believe it was a welcoming to everybody, that everybody was welcome to have a relationship with God. Few questions about your prayer life. Number one, has my prayer life become too routine? Do you find yourself going through the motions and you've lost the joy of spending time with God? Number two, am I known as a person of prayer? Do I have a prayer partner? Do I pray with a childlike faith? I'm going to ask my wife to come down. And I, I wasn't, I don't know why, I just feel like I want her to come down. How many of you are glad you're not my wife, you women out there? Every once in a while I just get a random thought. So I'm going to have her come down. By the way, I want to make a confession, another confession to you as she's coming down. We got our kids a gift certificate to eat out to uh, Lion's Choice, part of their Christmas little gift card, and we couldn't find them. We couldn't find them. And I kept saying to her, I gave them to you. I gave them to you. You have them. You have them. You have to have them. And so when we were going to Florida, I was cleaning out my trunk. And my wife put those envelopes in my trunk. I haven't even told her yet. But what I did, I took the envelopes and I, held, I stuck them under the bed on her side of the bed so I could say that I knew they were over there. But anyway, first of all, I apologize to her. She is the organized one, by the way. Chances are, if we disagree about where something is, 99.9% .9 of the time, I eat crow. All right? I'm just telling you. So I'm eating crow in front of everybody. I already told my kids. I said, Mom asked, tell her I found them under the bed, under the bed. But anyway, but I just want to say one of the joys in my life of all the things is being able to pray with her every morning. You know, hearing other people pray is important. 
But there's no prayers on this planet more important to me than when I hear her pray over me. And so I just want to say that I'm thankful to be able to pray with her, pray for our kids every day. I think individual prayer is good. But you know, there's something about praying together as husband and wife. There's something about that coming together. You know, the Bible says one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. There is, it's good to pray alone. But there's something important about praying together as husband and wife. And so I just want to publicly say how much I appreciate her. She hides up there behind the computer, which is usually pretty safe. But anyway, I just want to say I love her. I love you very much. And I just appreciate uh, her sticking with me. And so she's the most important person in my life. So being a, being a, a, a people of prayer, and, I, and I, I'm just confessing to you, pastors are probably the worst. I mean, we're so busy from the time you get up, go, 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 go. When anyone does a devotion at the minister's meeting, and they ever do it on devotional life and prayer, almost every single guy will have tears in their eyes saying, I really miss the joy of just spending time with God. I mean, we're preparing for a message. We're preparing for this. We're preparing for that. We're going, going. And sometimes you get so busy doing so many good things that we miss out on just enjoying God. By the way, when we get to heaven, that's why I believe when the Bible says we just fall on our face. I think when we get to heaven and see the glory of God, the majesty of God, and to realize that he loved us so much that he was willing to die on the cross so that you and I could spend an eternity with him, I think we're going to be so blown away above his love. But I want to tell you, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be blown away. I think God wants you to experience that right now. That's why I think it broke the heart of Jesus when he saw all these people searching and seeking. And yet they were overcharging and it broke his heart. His anger kindled, not against the lay people. It was against the religious leaders who again were keeping people from a relationship with him. God loves you so much. He desires that intimacy. So after he cleaned out what should not have been there, he established it for what it was meant to be all along, a house of prayer. And notice what happens next. Once he establishes as a house of prayer, then it becomes a house of power. They begin to see God do something only God can do. Notice what the text says. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. First of all, he had to clean out what should not have been there. He established what should have been there, a place of prayer. And when it became a place of prayer, all of a sudden the power of God began to manifest. And I say many times, if you've been here very long, you've heard me say many times, I always want to see God do something only God can do in church. If, if it's something I can produce, it's not from God. I want to see lives changed. I want to see marriages brought back and healed, people being set free from drugs. I mean, I want to see people saved. I want to see God show up every time we gather together and do what only God can do. As a matter of fact, 
if you go through the Gospels, and I just as you read through the Gospels, every time Jesus went to church, something happened that wasn't on their program. Every time. He always, and you know who got upset? It was the religious leaders. It did not fit what they had built. But so often when Jesus would heal or Jesus would cast the demon out of somebody, I mean, so often the religious leaders got upset, and every time he left church, he either had to duck or pucker. Amen? I really do. Man, I pray, I think, every time we gather, God, I just want you to show up and just do what you can do. I like to think about that prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4. God, give us a boldness to preach by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders. God, if you'll show up with your power, it'll give us a boldness to lift up Jesus. I think people are hungry to experience God. I think they always have been. Can I tell you, if I'm just being real, I think people are tired of religion. They're tired of counting heads and counting nickels, and they're tired of all the programs, and sometimes we got so many programs going. If a program would have done it, God would have sent a program. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he sent a committee. I just want to remind you how much he loves you. And yeah, there's certainly application to our church, no doubt about it. But again, I want to tell you, this is a passage that every single believer can make personal application. Because our body, according to, again, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, God doesn't dwell in this building. He dwells in this temple. And so I just want to say, of everything you could say about yourself, Jesus said, I want my house, the place where I live, to be called a house of prayer. And I hope that we find the joy in that and not, again, not just being a duty and going through the motions. And so after it became a house of power, the final thing is it became a house of praise. You know, when God shows up and when God begins to do what only God can do, people begin to just spontaneously worship. That's why I can't wait to get to heaven. Man, heaven is just going to be a spontaneous worship. Matter of fact, I read Revelation. When any group starts praising God, all of a sudden everybody goes, I, I just can't help it. They get in on it. Heaven is just going to be an incredible place of experiencing God's love and expressing that love. The Bible says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Can I tell you, when God begins to be, just show up and be God, it'll upset religious people. I mean, I tell people, I mean, I'm just being honest. Most of the time, if God shows up in the Baptist church, he's not going to be Baptist. I know that some of you are holding on tight to the pew. I believe when God shows up, we just want him to be God. And we just want to just worship and love on God. I mean, this really, this text is about how much God loves people and how much he desires an intimate relationship with everybody. And anything we do that hinders that, I think, breaks the heart of God. That's why he said, you remember at one point he said to people, if you offend one of these little ones, 
it's better if you put a millstone around your neck and toss it out into the sea than to offend someone. God has a heart. I just want to tell you, he loves you so much. And sometimes religion becomes so much rules and regulations, we miss the relationship part. And I hope that you experience that relationship. By the way, how many of you know that children, I love to be around children, they are just so real when they worship. Children don't know how they're supposed to act in church. Isn't that cool? I shared in the first two services, probably a couple years ago, I was standing in the back during the worship portion, and David was up here playing, and, and there was a little girl, I don't know who, I don't remember who it was, don't remember who her parents were, maybe you're here today, but she was in the very back, back there. And so she was on the chair, she stood up on the chair, and during the worship, she just began to just dance and move, and she was singing along, and just, she wasn't told, you don't dance. And I have to admit, I, I took my eyes off of David, I wasn't even thinking about what David was doing, and I just sat and I watched this girl. And I honestly felt like God say to me, I wish you could be that free. You know, I believe when we clean out what should not be there and we establish what it's supposed to be, a house of prayer, I believe we'll experience God's power. I believe we'll experience real praise. And again, praise is spontaneous. I love those stories where people just break out in praise. So I asked you at the beginning what our church is known for, and I don't want you to say anything. And there are a lot of positive things that people wrote down, by the way. But in the early service, I actually asked, I said, how many of you at least had prayer as one of your top three? And maybe four people raised their hand. Now, that doesn't mean that prayer isn't important. And we have some incredible prayer warriors. And by the way, I'm just being honest. What really, the power of our church is nothing that goes on up here on Sunday. But it's what goes on in the prayer closets. I honestly believe that. But wouldn't it be great if people drove by and they said, I don't, I don't know a lot about that church, but I know there are people of prayer. I just want to challenge you to make prayer a priority in your life. Again, not out of duty, not so you can check it off. But I want you to discover the joy of an intimate relationship with God. When you find yourself just can't wait to spend that time with God, that's when you're beginning to experience what prayer should be all about. You know, one day, if the Lord doesn't come back, the Bible says we each have an appointed time to die. I don't know what they're going to chisel on our, our headstone. I have no idea. And they could chisel a lot of things, a lot of positive things, but maybe one of the greatest things they could ever say about us is prayer wise. Again, I didn't say, Jesus said, more than anything else, I want my house where I live to be called a house of prayer. I mean, it's, it's a captain obvious. I mean, you don't even have, I mean, that's what Jesus said. I just want to challenge you as you challenge me. And by the way, again, this passage was really directed toward the leadership. So it really is, is a passage more to the pastors, the leaders of the church, more than anybody. I really hope and I pray that you experience that intimacy with God. Wouldn't it be great if each of our temples, everywhere we go throughout the week, 
that his spirit would just flow out of our temple and that everybody we come in contact with would be encouraged to get to know God because of our life. I think that's what God intends. I want to close with this. This is on the bottom of your notes there. I just want to encourage each of us to pray that our our life would be a place of cleansing. Pray every day that our life would be clean and pure, reflecting Jesus, expressing God's love everywhere we go, that we would become a house of prayer, establish prayer as a priority in your personal and family life, a house of power, pray for God's spirit to flow through all that we say and do, and finally, a house of praise that we would take time to have childlike worship and praise to God. Let's all stand together. I just want to have just a time of just just kind of just take a minute and just sit before God. I want you to feel God just reach down and just remind you how much he longs for that intimacy with you. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen if each of us would just allow the Holy Spirit to fill our temple. And that everywhere we go, that river of living water would just spill out and just draw people to God. I want to challenge all of us to become a people of prayer. To make that as part of our, not just something we do out of duty, but just out of privilege. To be able to spend time with God. That it would produce a joy in our relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and maybe for the first time in your life you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. Maybe you're not sure that if you were to step into eternity today, that you would be welcomed into God's presence. Your name may be on a church roll somewhere. I just want to tell you in love, if your name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the only only role that really counts. My name was on a church roll, the church I grew up when I was 13 years old and I walked forward to get saved. I just want to pray a simple prayer and maybe you're here today and maybe for the first time in your life. Maybe you've already prayed the prayer. Maybe you're not sure that you would honestly go into the presence of God if you were to step into eternity. I just want to challenge you to pray this prayer from your heart to God's dear Jesus. I realize today how much you love me. I realize that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I open up the door of my heart and my life. I invite you into my life as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, I believe the Bible teaches whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have to believe there's people in this room that need to be prayed for physically. Everywhere Jesus went, he took time to minister to people. And so I just want us to pray for each other. Would you take a minute, and some of you have your head bowed, and that's okay, but look up for just a minute. I want you to look all the way around you, if you will. I want you to see who's around you. Can we just take just a a minute or so? I want you to pray.